What's up guys? Welcome to Fear Food Radio. This is episode 159 and of course it's me Matt Whitmore and Keris Marsden. Hello. Hello Keris, happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Sunday podcast. We don't normally do on a Sunday. We don't do it, it's normally day of rest. But here we are. I've had to book into your diary because you're a busy boy. Well, yeah, you know me, very busy. Yeah, busy, yeah. busy. Busy, busy, busy. Like, Please, can we do a podcast? It's quite cool, though. Like, um, we both feel quite chilled today, don't we? Had a nice walk this morning. Managed to get 10k steps in before brekkie. Good going. I do like our Sundays. Where it's the day we both agree we do not train. Yeah. Go for a nice long walk. Bit of a lie-in. Bits of work that we enjoy doing. That's yeah. the rule, isn't it? Things yeah. that we enjoy doing, not feel compelled to do and then we try and switch off in the afternoon yeah doesn't always happen no didn't last no. sunday no <laughs> <laughs> no that's definitely on our list of things we're still working on in it the hard thing about is... sunday is you just you want to get ready for the week and then suddenly yeah. it's like dinner time by the time you've got your shopping in done some batch cooking thought i'll just get the washing done done some cleaning yeah and it's like oh sunday's gone yeah it wasn't a rest day no but so far we're doing all right. Yeah. Oh, we are today. Yeah, it's 11 o'clock though. Still yeah, time to mess it up. Still time to all regular. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to say, actually, before we do start, massive thank you to everybody who got in touch and gave such lovely feedback on um, episode 158 because it wasn't our typical episode. It was much more conversational. We genuinely really enjoyed doing it. We, we enjoyed doing all of our episodes, to be honest with you, but it just felt really easy really natural and it, the conversation just flowed and we had a bit of a bit of a chat bit of banter but because it was a bit different to what we normally do we were a bit worried weren't we, yeah. we were a bit like what are people going to think will they like this style will they not but the feedback has we've probably had the the, the the most feedback we've had on any episode that we've done no it was really nice and, yeah. and it was lovely and, and very very reassuring because i think you know it's I don't know, it's easy to over- overthink these things, isn't it? Yeah, but they can become like a, a nighttime wee-wee concern. What? A nighttime wee-wee concern. When you get up in the middle of the night for a wee and then like your kind of deep concerns come to mind and you're like, I'm never going to get back to sleep now. And uh, sometimes I'll wake up and go, oh, should that podcast Was that podcast all right? Yeah. <laughs> did, did I say the right did thing? I remember to put baking powder in that recipe. <laughs> wow. The nighttime <laughs> wee-wee list. Yeah. I've, I've never... I've never I've never thought of it like that, although I can relate. I do have things when I wake up in the night and then I find myself thinking about something in, in such detail and you're like, Matt, it's 2.30 in the morning. Why are you thinking about this? I, I always think, go back to bed and then just do like four seconds breathe in, four seconds breathe out and count. And then you can normally drift off again. Although I must say, I've never thought about our podcast in the middle of the night. I thought that's, oh, that's not been on my list. I think about clients, like literally, just your day, your working day comes into your head. I can relate to that for sure, but 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 yeah. But then morning wee wee is even worse because that can go to like. <laughs> we are actually going to talk about something called trait anxiety today, which is when you go through these phases in the month where suddenly you you get a bit of anxiety about the future. It's called trait anxiety because it comes and goes. It's not like a consistent anxiety. And we're going to talk about probiotics today. So there's some studies on probiotics. To be fair, I have actually no idea what we're talking about. What we're going to be talking about today. Keris was like, I've got it all planned. I'm going to lead. But back to morning wee-wee. We're talking about wee-wees. Yeah, (laughs) you can get like, you can finish that wee-wee and then literally your head goes to like, Worry mode, yeah, things that you're really concerned about. And I found oh. myself doing it and I've, I'm, I'm slowly coming up but with But when, when you do a wee in the morning, do you 
Are you on your phone? You're checking your phone, you're no, looking at emails and I stuff. I never, ever, ever, ever take my phone to yeah. Lou. That's you. I speak to, no, my, no, no, I I speak to my mum and dad about this, that how I catch you out is because we're both linked up to the, the um, Bose speaker. The Bluetooth, yeah. Yeah, and then you will say, I'm just popping to the Lou. And then what it does sometimes is it cuts off my music that I'm listening to. And next thing you know, YouTube's on, but you're supposed to be on the Lou. So I'm like, somebody is basically sat on the Lou watching YouTube caught out. No, I do watch YouTube on the Lou. But tube, Lou tube, poo tube, poo tube. But that's like they should so design a channel called poo tube. But when you're having a poo, things that like relax you, make sure you release serotonin, and are about four minutes in length, forty-five in your case. Yeah, forty. Yeah, forty minutes in my case. Yeah, a mini, a mini film. You have to admit that you go to the loo. Especially when we're at your mum's or my mum's for a break from everybody. I can admit it. 100%. Yeah. Because I, I say... I, 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 say I, definitely, um, I definitely drag it out. <laughs> <laughs> Not push it out. You hold it in. <laughs> yeah. I just take my time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, no, there's no rush. <laughs> so you understand why I get agitated when we need to be somewhere and you go, I'm going to the loo. Because your average time in the poo room is about like yeah, but sometimes av- 40 minutes like yeah but the average is skewed a little bit you're definitely worse at your mum's so I sit mm. there and listen to the stories on repeat like yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like have I, I like listen out and I'm like oh my mum's my mum's telling Kerry that story I've already heard three times I'll, <laughs> I'll stay here a bit longer <laughs> <laughs> watching poo but, but what I was going to say was I, but I don't do it in the morning like that was a trait I knocked on the head you're, you're talking about during the day but on about in the morning, because I don't know if anyone's seen that social dilemma documentary on Netflix and we started watching it and then we switched off, didn't we? Because we were almost a bit like, not sure I want to hear this. Not sure I want to hear this, to be honest with you. It's, you know, considering we're on an online business and spend a lot of time on social media's uh, 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 social, media, social media platforms. But anyway, one guy said, the question is, do you check your phone before you pee or whilst you pee? Because there's no other option. And I thought, well, actually, there is another option. There's not check it at all um, for the first, like, set amount, certain amount of time of your morning. Yeah, but, which is very good. Which is what I do now. I never used to. I used to be on my phone whilst brushing my teeth at night and whilst brushing my teeth or going to the loo first thing in the morning. It was the first thing I did. Yeah, exactly. out of pure habit. I would always tell you off for that. Yeah, and it was bad of me because it was like, you know, I'd be checking emails and things that would, like you mentioned, you know, you kind of, your brain starts going then. Whereas if it's not on my radar, I don't think about it. So now I make the conscious decision of like, I'm, I, don't, I just don't check my phone now, but it's, it's, it's now, it's... Your it's, routine now. It's routine. I don't even do it. I don't even think to get my phone out. It just stays in my pocket. It's not even off airplane mode. That's you good. Know, I do that. I yeah. keep it on do not disturb or airplane not, mode not, for not a long time. Not until I've, not until I've, um, you know, brushed my teeth, gone on loo, had a coffee. And then, you know, then I might be like, right, let's have a little look. Here's a question for you, though. When you are um, taking your phone to the loo, which you do do. Yeah. What do you search on PooTube? Like what, what Nothing. do I just, you want I just, to look at? Or is it just you get like, I don't check let the anything. universe decide? Yeah, I do. I let do fate you? decide, yeah. I go on to YouTube and, YouTube and see what's been recommended for me that day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it might be like, because um, uh, I like rap, hip hop, I like UK grime music. So it might be a new tune by Abracadabra. I'd be like, let's see what he's got going now. <laughs> Or it might be, you know, do you wipe uh, to the beat? <laughs> it might be, it might be this 
little pity puppy was found by the roadside, as in Pitbull. Oh, right. Pity. And was rescued and brought back to health. Yeah, you watch a lot, a lot of Caesar Milan stuff because that'll come through when I'm trying to work on my yeah, I, but I like Bluetooth um, speaker, and I'm like, what's he watching that for? Anything animal related is feel good for me though. Like I love seeing those stories where you know, like a, a stray dog was rescued and then brought back to health and found a loving home. That's always really, really nice. Or oh, I didn't just know just nice watching like that. like uh, animals with kids as well. Like have you ever seen those ones where like the little little puppy dog like curls up next to the sleeping baby and stuff like that it just makes you feel good because you know it's on your face you're doing indirectly What's there's that? actually some skill here is to actually have a bowel movement required you to have good serotonin levels in your gut well i mean feel well, good well obviously so that's thinking. why i do it yeah. <laughs> you know because of my you know expert knowledge uh, yeah. <laughs> let's get these serotonin levels up of excretion so there's a little tip for all you listeners if you want to watch videos of puppies if you're constipated, it could be helpful. There you go. See? Imagine me putting that on a client's, like, report. <laughs> when you yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Log on to Poochie. Constipated. Search puppies. Uh, increase your fibre and watch <laughs> videos of puppies. <laughs> and UK grime. Yeah. <laughs> if, if that, that works if that's, for you. If that's your bag. Yeah. Um, so... Keris. But we are talking about poo today. Oh, we are, actually. Okay, yeah, so this yeah. isn't completely We're irrelevant. Kind of, we are on then. topic. I thought we okay. could... I like this, actually. I like that you've taken control of this podcast and you've gone, right, Matt, we're doing a podcast. I'm going to lead Bosch well, with no hint to what it's going to be. Yeah, so you don't know what we're talking about, say, and then you're you. very busy. Your mind is, you are launching, you're doing your Christmas run of Strong Humans Club. Guys, if you haven't checked out Matt's Strong Humans Club clothing, uh, it is epic. I'm very proud of you. Oh, and you. Uh, it To be fair, be- uh, the Christmas launch will probably be finished by the time you listen to this episode, but... Get you know, ready for January. Get ready for January. <laughs> um, and it's really cool because actually we've been looking around at our Christmas, haven't we? We talked in the last session about how sustainability and health sometimes conflict. Yeah. So we're trying to think about the choices we make about purchases and clothing and um, everything that you're doing is is basically recycled, fair wear. We've talked about this before on the podcast, but um, to the point where me and your mum were helping you do this run and uh, your mum wanted to get ahead and said can I wrap these hoodies and you said no I've got to wait there's a vest that needs to go in there and she said yeah we can wrap that separate and you were like no we cannot use more paper than is necessary because you hate how much packaging comes yeah, yeah. with deliveries so very dedicated but um, also we're trying to make better choices when it comes to things like okay the clothes we wear or you know our household goods that we're buying and, and I hope everyone listening is is doing a really similar thing and I just didn't realize and I'm, I'm hoping you'll do a podcast on this just how much kind of waste and you know kind of the carbon footprint of the clothing you know I've seen the information out there about things like sweat factories and stuff like that and that's making me really consider the choices I make around clothing. yeah but in terms of landfill and how much waste mm. is created as a result of of clothing and, and this fast fashion has really let that you know kind of driven that yeah. exponentially so you're kind of going in the opposite opposite direction and I'm currently wearing a jumper made out of plastic bottles yeah boom so that how cool is that cool. that's mad right isn't it's it it's very cool and um but I suppose that's what's interesting. It, and it will be the way of the future, I think. And I, I hope, hope so. I hope... I certainly hope so. The like, people that were swayed by fast fashion are now swayed by green fashion, we're mm. kind of, you know, calling it, or sustainable fashion or ethical yeah, fashion. Yeah, yeah. So important. It really is important. And I think, like, you know, we touched on this uh, very briefly in the last episode, but I just think, like, it's it's, it's, it's got to be so much more than... You know, it's all well and good, you know, me 
using like organic cotton that uses less water, recycled polyester, which obviously just means less waste, um, you know, less stuff going into landfill. That's great. Of course it is. But then like you just mentioned on a, on a, on a much smaller level, instead of using two sheets of paper to wrap the uh, two separate items, put them together. Yeah. And that's why I like, you know, cause it was funny. Cause at first my mum didn't understand what I was getting at entirely she no, was a bit no. like yeah but you've got an opportunity to kind of get ahead here yeah, yeah. and I was like yeah but I'd much rather not get ahead and use less paper because that's at the core of what this brand is all about yeah, you know is, is the sustainability aspect of it so I kind of stuck to my guns and and eventually she came around to my way of thinking and she understood how important it was to me so but yeah I think it is all about those the smaller details the smaller decisions and even off the back of the last podcast um please don't uh, kind of like pull a face at this, but I've started not flushing when I do a number one. Um, if it's, you know, just Keris and I in the house, which it is anyway, because <laughs> we're on lockdown. Because I'm a bit like, you know, if, if you think of how many wees I do in a day and same for you, like I'm not bothered if... if You're quite the, well hydrated, so it's not like they stink either. No, <laughs> and, and, and you know, it's, you know, I mean, obviously number twos need to be flushed, but number ones, like I'm a bit like, you know, if you think about how many times we do a wee in a day combined yeah and it, you're flushing every single time you know what i mean whereas if we like if we sharing. flush like every three or every four weeks yeah you know you see what yeah, i mean yeah. like it's little things like that and it, i don't know i just felt quite good about that we're gonna have to start um sharing bath water or something next you used to well, should, you should do we, that as a kid well we, I, we used to share bath water as a kid yeah well like all to, of us shared like, well it was only me and my mum but I used to we used to either say like not together obviously but well no <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. that would be weird um, but you know it would always be like whoever had the bath it was like a, you know should I leave the plug in yeah. <laughs> and it's like yeah go on I'll leave the plug in it just reminded me because I would bath with my brothers when I was really young and then there was always that like fear that one of them was would always fart in the bath, like yeah. literally, and take Jacuzzi. great pleasure in it. But then once a little bit of poo came out, and I remember that I've just I've never got out of the bath quicker. Oh, <laughs> Literally yeah. like never, hurdles. Never moved so fast. <laughs> but I just think I remember when I got to school, how much of a stigma there was about that. And mm. I remember quick. I think I mentioned it once, and someone, uh, that's really dirty. You share because then we would share bath water after that. So I would get in after my mum and dad had a bath. Yeah, yeah, and that. I remember someone going, that's really dirty. And then I was like, oh, it is really dirty. I'll never mention that again. I'll never never talk about it again. Yeah. And then you went to showers pretty quick after that. And then I don't really have baths anymore. But So maybe we should shower together. Shower together. Save water. Save the water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's going back to your libido. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's probably a bad idea. Bad idea. <laughs> so let's let's go back to, let's stay on topic, Keris. Okay. What you got for me today? Just one last thing that I have to say, though, about the last podcast, because someone did write to send you an amazing youtube clip was it about a prank call you've got to share that a really good prank call that someone did because <laughs> we mentioned oh, yeah. them in the last podcast yeah so yeah. we were talking about the prank callers on, uh, on the simpsons when yeah. bart used to call moe's bar oh, and then uh funny enough one of our members messaged and said i oh, just listened to your latest episode and you mentioned about the prank calls to moe's bar and then my my gran just sent me this video and it was of this guy who works in an office and call he was and he, like a call center type thing and he was making a, a phone call based on the details <laughs> that he had in front of him and he was like oh i'm just hoping to speak to tess please and then like obviously you can't hear the other person and then he's like yeah yeah it's uh so i'm assuming they're saying tess who yeah he said i said yeah it's a tess 
It's a testicle. <laughs> testicle. <laughs> but, but the funniest thing was is it was when the penny dropped to him. Because it was obviously when he's because when you say test tickle, but yeah. then he said it again with less of a pause and was like test tickle, and then you just saw his body language and his face and the realization <laughs> that his colleagues had set him up. And then he was like, "I'm I'm so sorry about this. I'm ever so sorry. <laughs> I'm gonna go." That is a good. But one. honestly, I was crying. I was like, I, I can't believe. In fact, out of all the the kind of fake names I've heard over the years. I've never heard that one. I feel like doing it on a register is a joke. We've now. got to do when, it. When I'm calling the register. We've got to do <laughs> it. Oh my God, you're so sure. You're so sure. Test, no. Testicle. Testicle. Test <laughs> <laughs> See if anyone notices. They should notice as students. But. In fact, actually, hit us up. Let us know of all the fake names that you've used over the years yeah. or heard, you know, be it at school or you've just heard someone else do, let us know. Right, are you ready? Yeah, let's get okay. back at it. So I thought we would do today the topic of probiotics. Cool. The reason being, and getting lots of questions at, me, at the moment about probiotics, should I take them? Should I take them for a long period of time? How much? How many? What brands? And are they going to help with kind of COVID and immunity over the winter? So I thought, right, we can cover a little bit about I'm going to talk about probiotics but I'm just going to talk about the microbiome in general mm -hmm. because there's kind of always new and interesting research that's emerging about how important it is and it's referred to now as like an organ essentially that the, this bacteria that's sitting in our guts in our mouth in mm -hmm. our lungs around your bum oh. around your private parts nice <laughs> and then um, uh, did I mention skin and mouth I can't remember if I said those two skin and mouth no I don't think um, so so it's wherever there's like kind of oral cavities inside the body where the outside world meets the inside of you. So there's a lot of kind of immune protect or kind of protective function of it and, and kind of immune system influence or regulation that this microbiome does. And there's lots of things that we're doing in terms of our lifestyle choices, our nutrition choices, and also medications that are affecting it possibly negatively. So there's lots of things that we can do positively to influence it. Should I take a probiotic is one of them questions where I probably frustrate everybody where I say, well, it depends. Yeah. And then the answer is just so long winded that I almost feel like, Can, give me a phone number and I'll, I'll give you a call and go through it with you. Because yeah, it's just yeah. so hard to, to kind of email back this answer or write it in a comments box on, on social media. So I thought we could learn a little bit about the microbiome today. It's going to teach you about your microbiome, my nice. microbiome, and then things that affect it negatively, what that means in terms of your disease risk. And so... If you are somebody who perhaps has lots of allergies or um, autoimmune diseases, or again, things like um, struggles with weight gain, there's, there's things that you can do, things that might help you to be aware of with your microbiome and things that you can do again to, to positively change it. Yeah. And of course, because having had a, a huge journey myself with this, you know, having had IBS for years and lots of antibiotics as a teenager, I've always kind of wondered if that was the start of, of you know, a lot of my kind of health issues. Well, it definitely was in that... Some of the treatments that I had, even the oral contraceptive pill can have a negative effect on your gut microbiome. And I kind of saw so many key changes in, in my health from the point of, as I've said, the antibiotics, the pill, those types of things. Yeah. So it can be really helpful to kind of consider if that's been your health history, what would what would that mean for you kind of going forward? But also from a preventative perspective, I think there just needs to be a lot more information out there for parents, um, for kind of teenagers adults generally about 
you know, when we're considering some of these interventions, is it the right thing to do? And what are the long term implications? And so an obvious one is things like the contraceptive pill, which can have quite a big impact on your health. I have lots and lots of cases of women who come to me and say, I I react so negatively to it, I've had to stop it. Um, And that is from a really affects my gut. It really affects my mood. It really affects, you know, kind of energy levels and, and exercise and things like that. I remember actually being put on one that was supposed to help. It was an anti-androgenic, so it was supposed to lower testosterone because I had acne. It kind of come back in my 20s. And I remember for about two weeks, I could barely train at the gym because it's having that kind of hormone suppressing effect. And I would get to the gym and I would feel, it made me feel really sick to start with because it's quite, again, it was a combined pill, so I had other other hormones in it. But I remember it making me feel pretty rough, but training was just shocking on it. And I just generally haven't, fared that well on it in the past but one of the mechanisms is that it did also affect it can make you constipated or it can give you loose bowel movements and things like that because it's affecting your microbiome so i thought we would go back to kind of basics and give you some key facts about your little microbes Mm -hmm. and then you can know a little bit more about them get to know them and then how to look after them sound good fantastic and it'd be interesting to compare Yours to mine, maybe as well, because we would have completely different microbiomes because of yeah. which, which is interesting because this is, you know, we have this idea that there's kind of this magic bullet when it comes to diet and mm. macros and training and all these different types of things. But your microbiome kind of a big factor in that. And I've just mentioned this several times on the podcast. It's, it is a bit like a fingerprint. It's so unique to you yeah, yeah. that this is why you've always got to think about implementing stuff. And if it's not working making some changes, not yeah. constantly trying to conform to what everybody else is doing when it comes to diet, when it comes to exercise and, and things like that, and thinking that you're doing something wrong if you're not following the, the crowd. And also as well, like, correct me if I'm wrong here, but, you know, we've, we've discussed this many a time, but a lot of what's going on with you now isn't necessarily linked to what you're doing at this very moment. A lot of it is based on what you've potentially been doing for years yeah, yeah. prior like, you know, I, I, gosh, I look back to my diet when I was a kid and my teens and and even in my early 20s, you know, and, and yeah, fair enough. You know, I've I've had I've had those extremes like we've spoken about, like I've had those extremes where I just ate anything I wanted, drank anything I wanted, you know, as a kid, you know, used to get through a stupid amount of Dr. Pepper. But at the same time, you know, I was very, very active. But you could argue that you know, a diet very, very high in processed food. Not going to be great. You know, it's, it's not yeah. going to be great for me, like further down the line potentially. And I always have a dilemma with them, um, like Cherry Coke and Dr Pepper, in that sometimes we'll be out and about. Even just recently, we were on a dog walk and it was late at night and it had been a bit of a cracker of a, like a rubbish day. And then uh, I was going to get to, uh, I can't remember what I was going to get, newspaper or something from the local shop, and you went, God, oh, God, get us a, get us a Pepsi Max. And I always just felt like. Oh, Blinking hate that stuff. It's to be doing your own sides no good. But then it just might make put the smile back on your face yeah, to know. It did. And then it did. It and it, that is the hard thing about the food. And, and and that's why I want to kind of talk about the microbiome today and say it's really what you're doing the majority of the time yeah. that makes the biggest difference. And the, the odd Pepsi Max here and there isn't going to be. Obviously, if you've got some level of dysfunction that you're trying to correct, it's always yeah, better yeah. to kind of avoid some of these things. And it's the same thing with children. I mean, the biggest takeaway for today is going to be that you and I our timelines so when I work with a client you draw out their kind of timeline of, of different health events yeah yeah and I call it it's kind of like your your snowflake story because mine and yours will be really different there'll be some commonalities for sure in terms of the the, the movement towards processed refined foods I can't remember where I was going this just totally lost my train of thought 
Hast du nicht? Do you want a coffee? Yeah. <laughs> Show a fire up the machine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was, I think, I was going to say, but because we were, um, you know, the kind of elements of things like how you're born and breastfeeding and those types yeah. of things also play a role. And if you're listening, there is nothing you can do about that stuff anymore. Obviously, you can't change how you were born. You can't no. change whether you're breastfed. No. You can't change what you did as a teenager. It's been and gone. It gives you answers about why you maybe suffer with things that other people don't, why yeah. you're more vulnerable to them. But it also, it should be something that you feel empowers you to think about doing things differently in future. I often say they're a blessing in disguise. But also, if you know other people that you can influence who might be going through that process. So if you're a parent and have teenagers, and I know this is flipping hard, like I work with teenagers... And it's not easy. And many of the teenagers feedback to me, even if they want to eat better, they get grief for it or they're a bit, you know, kind of alienated by their yeah, friends yeah. when they don't want to make the same choices when they're eating out and going into coffee shops and stuff. But it, the most important actual kind of time in your life nutritionally is the first two years of your life, which is when we can, if, if you know someone now who's pregnant or someone who's about to have a baby or you can feed this information through friendship groups in any way that you can, we could start to change this. And I really help hope public health guidance will change soon because the science is really there with this but do you know what i'm seeing almost the opposite direction and this massive encouragement to get children in the first two years of life even the first six months to start eating some refined processed foods because it will help their immune systems to adapt to them and see them as food and actually when you look at the kind of physiological mechanisms that are taking place behind the scenes that's not the case at all. Right. And your gut bu bugs, your, your microbes actually love a really kind of whole foods, not processed refined diet that feeds them, that nourishes them. So we build a better kind of internal terrain right. that would then help you to have greater immune tolerance in later life yeah, and things like that. So it should be the other way, but I'm seeing guidance go, you know, get some gluten in really early. And even I look at my uh, family now and the, the, my kind of, niece and nephew will have had much more exposure to processed and refined foods than I had yeah. because of the way and you did five years you're five years younger than me and even you had more access to processed and refined foods compared to me yeah there's yeah. a complete difference and you were in a city and I was in a rural area yeah I was going to say like you were about 20 miles from the nearest shop yeah? <laughs> where, where, where you grew up <laughs> I was just out in the garden eating nettles and <laughs> foraging <laughs> mushrooms <laughs> Yeah, got foragers, some dinner, will you? <laughs> so I think I had a good, I had a good start. To be fair, I'd, apparently I don't know if I've mentioned this before on the podcast. Mum said she used to find me outside in the garden eating peas. Like a, really? Yeah, when I was like, just as I was toddling, oh. she'd always find me eating the vegetable patch, just eating peas. So there we go. That's based on. I do love peas. I love peas, yeah. <laughs> Yesterday we treated ourselves to mushy peas, didn't we? Oh, yeah. After talking about one last oh. time. <laughs> uh, right, with Piri Piri Chicken. It was lovely, wasn't it? Anyway, back to this. We well, so, were trying to recreate, in case you're thinking, why, why are mushy peas and Piri Piri Chicken going together? But Not a single person listening probably doesn't know Nando's. Nando's, and they're, <laughs> they're macho peas, don't yeah. they? So we were, but we were just like, mushy peas would do. So we were trying to recreate Nando's, weren't we? Macho mushy peas, we had. Because yeah. they were macho, because... Because, because, just because, <laughs> right? So back to your microbiome. So first of all, there are thousands of species, mm -hmm. and I've just said to you that they're all over your body. So, but especially where there's an oral cavity, yeah. because it needs a little bit more protection. So we know that they offer like this physical kind of protection. They're a big part of maintaining your barriers and your mucus. You have yeah. mucus in your mouth and lungs and in your gut. Yeah. 
and in your nose i didn't even mention nose is another area lots of uh, microbes and they maintain the the this this kind of mucus layer and this protective barrier that so if they're wiped out for any reason or there's lots of infections that are are created one of the first things to break down or become more permeable is the barrier so you we've mentioned leaky gut which is a bit more of a kind of informal way of saying increased intestinal permeability which is where the the tight junctions between the cells to keep the bad stuff pathogenic stuff even environmental stuff like dust or dog hair out of your body yeah it can't interact with your immune system they begin to loosen slightly right but now that we know you can actually have this in your mouth so you can have leaky mouth or increased intestinal permeability in your mouth so that should say it should you have this mucus you have this bacteria layer you have this mucus layer and then you've got the cells all kind of tightly knit and when there's kind of any Again, threat to that. And I keep thinking about drinking really hot drinks because you see that link to esophageal cancer and things like that. Yeah. I'm terrible for it. Uh-huh. I will literally, I'm just always in a rush and I'll gulp down yeah. tea and then go off to burn my mouth. But that would be <laughs> wiping out your bacteria just like ex- really hot baths will wipe out your skin bacteria. Same right. reason. Um, do you ever remember getting in the bath as a kid and then standing up and you had the red line when you got in? It was too hot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah right, you yeah. get in and try and stand it and then go, I can't get out. You had, like, red socks on. <laughs> but what's funny when getting in the bath is... <laughs> trying to get your bomb in, you'd, like... Yeah, it. <laughs> but isn't it funny how different parts of your body are so much more sensitive yeah, to yeah. the heat? That's like getting in the sea. Because you'll get your feet in and you're like, oh, that ain't too bad. But then, like... <laughs> you're then, nuts. But then, yeah, yeah, and then you're like, whoa! <laughs> Once you have to, like... Hold them up. <laughs> yeah, dip, dip in, pull out... <laughs> Dip in a bit further. Do a little bit of bum cheek. Let it climatise before going all the way in. And you have that moment when you're like... (laughs) You just firm it for long enough and then you're like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. You know in the sea when it's really cold, the bit that I really struggle with is my stomach going in. I've never had a problem with the sea. Walk in and I can get it on legs, legs, legs and I'll be like, it's freezing and I can hardly breathe. But as soon as it hits my stomach or my chest, I'm like... (gasps) But you just need to just, this is what I keep saying, you just need to run and jump in. I know, in, I know. Submerge yourself, get it over I with know. in one hit. I know, I don't know. I don't a bit know different why. with a hot bath because <laughs> you could potentially <laughs> sky yourself for life. Please but, don't try this at home. <laughs> but with a cold sea, just yeah. get in there and you soon Let's adapt. Do it. Anyway. Um, okay, back to your microbiome. So this is why there's lots of things that we, we may do that could damage and we're going to talk about that today. But um, you're, in your gut alone, you have 100,000 billion bacteria and they weigh about one and a half kilos isn't that crazy wow. and they produce around two to four liters of gas a day i was in they, they weigh 1.5 yeah kilos so if you were to kind of wipe them out or try and weigh them in any wow, way that, right, just okay. how many there are and then what's really interesting is because you you are kind of made up this three times more cells that are related to your bacteria in you than actually your cells so they outnumber your cells but right. then because their cells are loaded with genes this is why we say that their genes outnumber ours by about 100 to 1 wow. so you've got a lot of bacteria in you and they're full of cells and their cells are full of genes and you're more more bacteria than you essentially which right. we mentioned this by the way in second helping but no one ever reads the front bit yeah they go straight to the desserts <laughs> yeah they do yeah. so um, and they're a massive part of immune tolerance so you know both um your nan and my nan always go why is it with all these fad diets and everyone being allergic to everything and da 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 yeah and no one in their generation it was very rare to see an allergy but what we think might be happening now is that this altered 
balance in our microbiome, so this, this, the different types of bacteria that dominate in these areas, is affecting our immune tolerance because it's a big part of communicating with our immune system, which is loaded kind of behind these barriers, um, especially in the gut. Well, that's where we talk about a big chunk around 80% of your immune system is sat behind the small intestinal wall and the gut bacteria are kind of speaking to them at all times yeah. and a big one thing that's really important is that the barrier maintains and stays there yeah so if you get this intestinal permeability so the barrier starts to break your gut bacteria and your immune system have access to each other okay. and this is what they think might be a factor in things like crohn's and colitis the more inflammatory bowel conditions because you can start to have a, a reaction to your bacteria essentially anyway um, on your skin, you've got more like a thousand billion. And that's why we talked about in, in previous podcasts, I'm sure we mentioned it last week about, you know, kind of not using products on the skin that have this like antibacterial effect. And it's going to be interesting with COVID because we're constantly using antibacterial hand wipes yeah, all yeah. the time. And, um, you know, if, if soap and hot water is as effective, mm-hmm. and God, I haven't seen all the research. I, I've given up the research kept kind of going back and forth, but yeah. we know soap and hot water is really effective. So if you wanted to, it's still going to probably affect your microbiome. Um, and it would be more of a problem if you've actually got some kind of skin problem in the first place. So if you have psoriasis or eczema, then what you probably want to be doing outside of that time where you're washing your hands or using an alcohol-based product is trying to put a prebiotic substance back on the skin. And that's where I've mentioned things like apple cider vinegar toner, you know, so dilute apple cider vinegar with water. And it's like a, got this kind of prebiotic effect. You can now get uh, probiotic sprays. You know, I've got one for you, do you remember? Because every now and then you get kind of like, you know, kind of like fungal infections on your legs and stuff from sweat. So you can put yeah. probiotic spray onto the skin directly. Yeah. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. You still want to be working on the internal side always. For shizzle. So we've got this kind of microbiome that's kind of all over our body. And I've just mentioned they're a big part of maintaining the barriers. But the key things that affect your microbiome, and a lot of them you won't be able to do anything about it now, is firstly, what was your mother's microbiome? No idea. Just give her a call. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> what she was eating prior to conception, but in the third trimester is really important. So the last third of her pregnancy, because what happens, and this is just mother nature's way it's so magical is that there's a dendritic cell that sits just behind the small intestinal wall and it's got this long go-go gadget arm and it's basically sampling taking a sample of the bacteria from your mum's small intestine and it then travels takes that bacteria and travels all the way up to the breast and then deposits it in the breast duct and that will become bacteria that's fed to you as breast milk when you're born how cool is that it's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. They didn't even know this at first. When they were trying to replicate breast milk with formula milk, they didn't know about that addition of, they put probiotics in. But what you also get in breast milk is this prebiotic, which is a type of sugar that then feeds the probiotic bacteria as well. So your mum decides in the third trimester what is the best microbiome for you. Wow. So uh, now the, the hard thing is, how you're then born and whether or not she can breastfeed, there are so many things that influence that. And I don't want anyone listening to this who um, ended up having, for example, C-section birth, which we're going to talk about in a second, and was unable to breastfeed. I don't want you to feel guilty. This is what I see time and time again. When I mention a preconception diet, which is a really 
powerful and important thing that I think women should be doing to kind of look after their nutrient status and their gut ready for the pregnancy. So that's a diet you follow three months before conceiving. So mm-hmm. even trying to have a baby. Yes. There's no information out there. No one knows to do it. And then I instantly see, sometimes I'll teach this in lectures and I get panicky emails from people saying, I never did that. I'm now concerned. I'm now really worried. But the stress of it, the stress of that worry is way more harmful sometimes to the individual, which we always say. So all it means is that you go, okay, going forward, I need to put some things in place that are supportive and you can bridge gaps. So you don't need to panic about these things. But what your mother does in that third trimester, what is the state of her gut? Probably you could argue what's the state of her gut before pregnancy and during because microbiomes are hugely influenced by diet, which we're going to talk about in a second. How you're born is then the next thing that influences it massively. Because if you go the the kind of um, the way that mother intended, which is basically down the birth canal, so through the vagina, mm. you it take in through your mouth and nose. We've discussed this before, but you take in the microflora that's in those areas for you that yeah, you've yeah. decided. When you're actually born, this is an interesting fact. You probably also take in a little bit of rectal microbiome and maybe a bit of her feces through your mouth. Yeah. So you essentially nice. maybe have eaten your mum's poo. Lovely. <laughs> and that has dictated. What's interesting is your immune system, your mental and emotional health. <laughs> no, no wonder your... babies are so angry when they first come out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I also think it's something that, you know, like something horrible I feel like the person that's telling you something horrible in the, in the playground you know when you were school kids and you go I've got to tell you something about Santa and the Easter Bunny and by the way you ate your mum's poo when you were born yeah. Um, but yeah there's a good chance because most women will pass feces at birth so that will also but it's a good thing yeah. so you're meant to take that on you're meant to ingest that microflora it's really right, good yeah, of course, good, yeah. it's good stuff at some point maybe we'll be told to kind of maybe it'll be used medicinally in the future I don't know <laughs> put that in a supplement yes. <laughs> it kind of already is but I'll talk about that in a minute um, so if you're born uh, vaginally you mainly get the, do you remember you probably heard of lactobacillus oh of course yeah every all the time <laughs> lactobacilli sorry uh, acidophilus strains which are in a lot of probiotics you often see them in, in you know labelled in, in products and stuff you also get something called propione bacteria which is also very uh, kind of abundant on your skin and then you get enterobacteria with like E. coli and some a little bit of bifidobacteria, DTs and clostridia, so smaller strains of others. If you're born through C-section, then you predominantly come in contact with the skin flora and then anything that's in the environment, the hospital environment. So it's completely right. different. But it's around 99% um, staphylococci that you come into contact with. And then what they have seen from that point onwards is that you develop a slightly different gut microbiome. And the right. next biggest factor to influence your the, the balance is whether or not you're breastfed right, and same thing that, yeah. we see a lot of cases where people have um, uh, babies have tongue tie and there just isn't the opportunity to sometimes there's hospitalization of mum and baby so they're separated yeah. and what i will say for formula milk is they've advanced massively in terms of really starting to mimic the macros of breast right. milk and having the pre and probiotics added but whether or not you're breastfed, especially in the and ideally making it to the first six months is kind of what the World Health Organization recommends. There is also this argument for doing it across the first two years of life, because that's what many traditional cultures did. Yeah. And what we now also know from the research is that your gut bacteria then kind of evolves for two years. And then what it is at around age two, possibly three, is what you have for the rest of your life. So the first two years of your nutrition are the most important wow. of your life. 
but that is just not communicated anywhere, is it? No. And there's this now switch in the last 50, 60 years, I'd probably say, towards things like rice cakes and these baby products and, you know, kind of not thinking about just, just whole foods, whole foods blended. You know, yeah, we've yeah. come across friends who've said they're kind of making separate food all the time. And you do have to, to a certain extent, because of salting food and things like that. Yeah. But largely in those first two years of life, there's a, a strong argument for going for a whole foods diet where it's not processed into flowers so much because what we know with when it's a flower is you've broken down the natural kind of cell matrix of like wheat or um, oats or whatever it might be and what you really want is when that food is in its kind of natural plant matrix it's broken down by enzymes and the gut bacteria kind of feed on these different elements of the plant matrix and it's also it's it's feeding them so it's food for them and it's a prebiotic source to them and many of the whole foods will also have what we call polyphenols, which polyphenols are like a, a beneficial kind of nutrient in, it could be wheat, it could be a vegetable, it could be anything. And, and they also influence the microbiome, but they're metabolized by your bacteria, then go into the body and will help with your blood sugars or they'll help with cognitive function or something else. Yeah. And the polyphenols are always highest in, you'll be pleased to know, things like um, all the vegetables, fruits, herbs and spices and I say please to know because it's in coffee it's in tea it's in chocolate so a lot of foods that we've constantly kind of emphasized for their yeah. health benefits and are in the literature for health benefits so what you're kind of fed in that time and this is why I say if you can influence anybody in your kind of sphere and say like but the other factor in this and I think I started saying this talking about um, my niece and nephew is if children are also at this time they have an adversity often in the young years of life to bitter foods and that would have been to stop them eating things that are kind of poisonous because you'll often find poisonous foods are bitter and they will naturally want something very sweet and their palates are very much influenced by what they have in those early years yeah. of life. And this is why some nutritionists and people that I kind of respect and admire have said that they don't or they minimise access to hyperpalatable sweet foods yeah. so that their children's palates are very much kind of fruit is sweet enough, you know, and it wouldn't be like, I'm not talking about mango here either, I'm talking about an apple, you know, oh, and stewed blue, apple, blueberries, blueberries and things like that. And sweet potato is sweet enough. Whereas if you, um, you know, give a two-year-old things like jellies and lattes and because I've seen the, you know, what they call frappuccinos and things like that. Then lattes. that's lat- frappuccinos I was thinking of. You know, you see the little coffees and the little, cakes. Ba- little baby chinos. Yeah. And yeah. Stuff. We've yeah. seen, you know, kind of kids having that type of stuff. That's what their palates are always going to want because they're not able to, that's what their brains are going to, it yeah. just works on their food reward system it's like i always give the example of um you know if you have some shall i say normal chocolate before having some dark chocolate yeah the yeah, dark yeah. chocolate's always you can't have it then ain't so much more bitter yeah, you're like yeah. oh you literally it's, it's, don't want it yeah so yeah, it's almost yeah. like if you're gonna if you're gonna do it, have, to have the dark chocolate first yeah and then have some sweet chocolate some sweeter chocolate. chocolate and that is kind of also part of our Food reward is our survival mechanism to make us, to motivate us to find food and eat yeah. more and more and more of it. But obviously, like, this is why Stefan Gurney, who... And just, to be, talk, just to be clear, sorry there, you know, like, you know, you're saying, like, we we see kids with the baby chinos and this, that and the other. Like, we are not knocking that for a second. No, no, like, no. Like, sort of really make sure that... It's just a, we're just we're trying to give an example, right? I, th- I think what I'd say about all of this stuff is what all you've got to remind yourself in the back is back of your mind is that... Firstly, children, obviously, they're not having a say in this. They're trying to often, demanding yeah. it. And it's it's kind of your decision whether to give it. 
equally then you've got to get that right balance of allowing them to integrate with their peers yeah. and not appear like this unusual child that never has sugar and things like that and, and friends yeah. have fed this back to me who've got the kids have got eczema and they're trying desperately to not do wheat and gluten but they take them to a party and it's just nothing but a kind yeah, of sugar of wheat and gluten dairy fest and and they'll flare the kids will flare but then kids also pick up on your anxiety so it is just about kind of minimizing i think some of that stuff yeah and there is a big role for having things like um probiotics and prebiotics for children who've had maybe a compromised birth experience right. so that could be that they were c-section born or not able to be breastfed but if the diet 80 to 90 percent of the time is this whole foods diet at yeah. home this is definitely how my parents did it with me um it was just we were kind of told it was minimized yeah and don't get me wrong we pushed boundaries especially as teenagers and got our own money we were like yeah of course but then we got the pain point from that so i think i always just knew you can't eat these foods all the time without having some kind my thing was you know, my mum would say, like, your teeth will fall out. So I was like, oh, my God, I do like, I like my teeth, you know. So it's just an educational kind of process, I think, that we've got to go through. And I think it'll be easier when the, finally the schools get on board with it. And, you know, we've actually talked about the fact that my parents, despite being pretty health conscious, when they are with the grandkids, they are like, ice cream time. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, and then it, my dad yeah. takes them out for, like, ice cream and stuff. But then Sansa like going, look at look at all these cakes, all oh, the sugar in that. Oh, the sugar. I've just tried that cake. The sugar in it. <laughs> but then he's just given, like, his granddaughter, like, a, an ice cream the size of her head. And I'm like, well, as long as most of her food is nutritious and she yeah, understands. Yeah, of course. Anyway, just going back to the kind of C-section side of things, if you're born via C-section, what we know is there's higher risk of having kind of a compromised gut function, so GI infections in, in life, but also greater risk of um, usually any allergies, asthma, arthritis, inflammatory bowel conditions, leukemia, which is kind of interesting because you're seeing rates of that increase in children as well. But then also possibly the studies all kind of do estimates on this, but a 64% greater risk of being obese through a C-section birth. And the reason being because you have this different balance of the microbiome. But one point I want to make here, which is just what you're kind of saying about we're not we're not saying that that one thing is going to be irreversible, yeah, yeah. is do you remember when we watched um, Evolution of Oz and they talked about the, I think it was the Tarahumara Indians that do the running in the in the mountains. Right. Do you remember seeing them? And they do these massive long distance runs and there was big drops and they were hunting yeah. essentially for food and they're known for their endurance. Yeah. So they've got all the kind of, it was talking about the genetics that they would have had. But then a large part of that population had moved down into more of an industrialised town. So not living in the kind of uh, rural areas anymore. Yeah. And then what they'd seen was this huge shift in their health where many of them became overweight, especially the children, children quicker yeah, than the yeah. adults. It's interesting when you look at some of the research, they they suffer kind of more of a stunted growth in the rural areas. So that was probably me growing up. <laughs> None of that happens in the industrial areas, but they were much more vulnerable to being overweight, even as children. So right. not even just in adulthood. And the reason I'm kind of citing that is to say that the environment is always going to be a huge, play such a huge role oh, God, going yeah. forward. So if you're C-section born, it's not that, that your, you know, your risk might be greater, but it doesn't mean that you will actually have these things. And so we always think about then just your need for a nutritious diet is going to be more and again, possibly minimizing, you know, antibiotics and things like that, if possible, yeah. it's not always possible because they're going to have such a negative effect yeah. on, the, on the microbiome. Anyway, your major food groups at that time play quite a huge role. And loads of studies have shown that when you kind of change diet from a kind of traditional diet to a more industrialized, refined, processed food, it has such a negative effect on their flora, but on their body composition, of course. So just kind of moving over to uh, what you might not realize as well is when it comes to your gut, 
a lot of what we're doing with things like probiotics or even antibiotics is you're influencing your small intestine because you have a very small amount of bacteria in your actual stomach because it's acidic. Um, the main ones are H. pylori, which people may have heard of because it's associated with things like ulcers. Most of us have it, by the way. It's not like a, it's kind of a symbiotic. It's meant to be there. Wow. But it can become a little bit of a pathogen if it's activated. And that's when you see it make ulcers, it starts to borrow into the mucosa and, and cause ulceration. And there's usually a reason behind that, like stress is quite a big trigger for that. You also have a lot of lactobacilli, lactobacillus in the, in the stomach as well. And that's why you see sometimes certain probiotics are really helpful for acid reflux or for H. pylori infections because they support the microbiome of the stomach. In this small intestine, you've only got a small amount, but that means it can be influenced quite strongly, again, by the food that you're eating. Oops, sorry. Uh, the food that you're eating and then also by things like antibiotics and probiotics as well. And the, the important thing about the small intestine is that's where we signal. Um, we have a lot of hormone signaling from the small intestine. It speaks directly to your pancreas, mm -hmm. massive influence in your kind of blood sugar balance and, and metabolic function as well. And that can, that's why you might see after antibiotics, things like your blood sugar regulation is affected negatively yeah. as a result of that. Or if you have symptoms of kind of IBS and lots of wind and bloating and stuff going on and, and, you know, that sometimes that transfers into the stomach as well and reflux, that that could also have a negative impact on blood sugars and, and kind of metabolic function. And, and your small intestine is really long, whereas your large intestine is, is slightly shorter. And what we have in the small intestine is it takes about two to four hours for food to go through. And a huge role of the small intestine is absorption of your nutri nutrients. So it's obviously really important for every single system yeah, in the yeah. body what's going on in the small intestine whereas your large intestine has a really slow transit time about 18 hours the food is, is kind of in there working its way through and most of the food is not absorbed so it stays in the large intestine and there's a lot of fermentation going on and it's feeding um, the you know, things like fibers that have not been absorbed are feeding your colonic so your large intestinal bacteria and they are making things like these short chain fats which are fuel for the cells that, that line the small intestine, large intestine. So really, really important. And they're also dealing with things like detoxification. So a kind of role for the gut, which is not really talked about a lot, is that they do what we call biotransformation. So they take something which is a problem. You know, our environments are loaded with toxins. We've got some of them stored in the body. If you're losing weight, then your toxins end up in your gut, likely, because you, you burn the fat off and the toxins are then going through the gut and through the liver. Right. And the kidneys. And these cells are really important for being able to to kind of make them neutralize them essentially, and then get rid of them through poo or peep, pee, <laughs> poo or peep, <laughs> poo or pee, and or we sweat them out. So these are really, really important, you know, kind of cells. And again, your microbiome are kind of a big part of that and, and feeding them. Sorry, I've just got you've just noticed I've got a stain on my top. Yeah, I've lost you. You know, I just saw it. I think you're a messy bugger. You're messing up all your Strong Humans Club merch. Just on that note. Uh, distraction, <laughs> poor attention span. <laughs> I just happened to notice it. Okay, so another thing then that, that's really important to know is, um, in, and fibre, as I mentioned, is quite important for the kind of balance of bacteria in the large intestine. But just a few things that, that will upset, we have something called dysbiosis, which is an imbalance in the bacteria that's in the gut, where maybe you haven't got enough of the ones that we call commensal and good, that I mean, you can detoxify stuff, you can produce a lot of these short chain fats, so your gut cells have got energy, 
you've got this nice crosstalk between your immune system and your gut. So your immune system is nice and balanced. You can tolerate, it's got, you've got good immune tolerance because yeah. you know that, for example, dust is dust. You don't need to kick off an immune response <laughs> to it. You know, so you haven't got these yeah, major yeah. allergies. So a lot of this is happening in the first two years of your life. That's where we're building a lot of this kind of, your immune system is essentially going through an educational process as the gut bacteria is evolving and growing and building. Yeah, yeah. And there's that communication. But what can upset it is the process of aging itself. So especially when you get to kind of 50 onwards, there might be an increased need to kind of look after your gut a little bit more. And there's elements of reduced function that contribute towards that inflammation, stress, your diet, of course, antibiotics. And then if you get an infection, you can often kind of have imbalances in bacteria off the back of that. So nothing that you kind of, you know, we, everyone listening probably hasn't already picked up by now from what we talk about. And again, lifestyle habits and exercise and diet are a big kind of factor in this but what's quite interesting is if you don't get the balance of bacteria right so again think about that early start in life and if there is hospitalization or c-section not breastfed those types of things dysbiosis is actually associated with early onset obesity so you're more likely to be overweight as a child type 1 diabetes and then that development of allergies but in later life as well any time in your life Things like irritable bowel syndrome, inflammatory bowel disease, both type 1 and type 2 um, diabetes as well. And then just having uh, antibiotic associated diarrhea. So you kind of have a more negative response to having antibiotics. And there's also kind of studies saying that if you have dysbiosis, you have a greater risk of um, colorectal cancer because you can't detoxify a lot of these, you know, I just right. mentioned these toxins in the gut. Yeah. So people kind of focus on red meat and stuff like that, but it's actually just... There's so many other things that would contribute towards this. Yeah, it takes yeah, decades and decades. Because, I mean, obviously, you know, you don't need us to tell you that generally your body is always kind of giving feedback of some sort, isn't it, to you? Whether that's like, you know, your energy levels are really low or you feel bloated all the time or you've got the runs quite a lot of the time and things like that. Like this is all, you know if this is happening on a regular basis, yeah, acutely, sometimes we might have eaten something that didn't agree with us or sometimes we didn't sleep very well and that's why we're tired. Like we can we can make those connections. But if, if your body's kind of quite consistently letting you know it's not happy, like something does need to change, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's just kind of being open to that feedback. And I always keep thinking back to, you know, and I've spoke about this before, like in my pre- fit of food days if you will where I just I ignored signs that my body wasn't happy because I just figured they were normal they just become the norm yeah you know like having excessive wind you know everybody farts yeah yeah. you know having low energy it's like well I get up at 4 30 in the morning what do you expect and I work long hours like it's natural it's just what it is what it is but actually it's like no no like you could change this. Yeah. You know, there's something going on. Your body's letting you know. Do, do you know what's really interesting about that, actually, is for the last, I would say, two years, I could probably almost say since I started teaching, and I'm sure fellow teachers would agree with this, because you're kind of in a lot of fight or flight when you're teaching, mm-hmm. in that you don't breathe properly when you're teaching because you're talking all the time. Again, my teaching was combined with a commute to London. I trained quite early in the day. And there was a lot of other stuff kind of going on with our business. So it was a very busy period in my life. And, and you also kind of have to be careful about what you eat because you don't really digest it because you're then teaching and again. Yeah, yeah. And I remember the last two holidays we went on before I fell ill with you, like last year. And, you know, you kind of like put your bikini on and it's the first time you've ever, well, for me, it was like a long time since I've even had a chance to look at myself properly in a mirror and think, what do I look like? And I remember thinking, gosh, 
like I look like I've got kind of weight around the middle and it didn't matter you know so I give myself a bit of hard time for that and, and I remember saying to you like oh you know I think I've just been eating too much sushi and <laughs> with you we did go for a phase of eating a lot of sushi yeah, didn't we did, we? Didn't we? Yeah. Like 50 pieces each because we were just doing so much um I didn't just you know kind of oh I just need food and I remember for, for kind of two holidays thinking like I need to like I gave myself a hard time I was like you know you're kind of getting a bit of a pot belly you need to rein it in and stuff and when I actually then fell ill and went through this whole kind of gut restoration program, it's all gone. And I actually look kind of normal again as what my stomach should look like. But for two years, I was giving myself stick that it was, I suppose, being overweight. And I think it was just pure bloating, mm. but a ton of water retention and inflammation from just dysbiosis. So, yeah. and, and the only kind of key, I think almost because I was in fight or flight a lot when I would teach, so your gut's almost shut down. So you don't really have any symptoms. But then when I would finish, that's when, you know, I'd have like some wind or, you know, then I'd get some cramping or something. When I tried to have my dinner, it would often all kind of kick in yeah. because that might be the first time that I was relaxing. So it's interesting. But I'm, now I remember thinking like my clothes were so tight and things like that. But actually most of that kind of went with... The chain, obviously, I did some key changes in my diet, but I've been able to add dairy back in now and I've kind of experimented with bread and gluten and things like that. Slowly added stuff back in and none of the same bloating has come back. So there's definitely, I didn't even mention this before, but the microbiome influence your enzymes. And so they, they have a huge influence on your digestion absorption capacity. Yeah. And they think that antibiotics, because they wipe out some of the bacteria, especially in the small intestine, that's where they have the most powerful effect in the small intestine so they affect your enzyme capacity and therefore you can develop food intolerances like for example they think the dairy intolerance could probably come off the back of, of antibiotics and things like that really because you're wiping out some of the enzymes lactase enzymes that would help you break those things down so it's not a kind of you know people talk about being a fad and stuff like that so this is where the health timeline of a client is really important to get in order like when did you left antibiotics and just on that note so the next thing I was going to talk about is probiotics. But if you had antibiotics kind of repeatedly in the first two to three years of your life, it's associated with quite a big list of issues, uh, health issues then. Many of them we've kind of mentioned already, um, but it's the amount that you have. So once you get to kind of three plus more rounds of antibiotics um, before the age of two specifically, there's an increased risk of you being overweight by the age of four. And you can imagine this kind of continues on. And, and I see in almost all cases I have, people have so many antibiotics for tonsillitis as kids and ear infections. Right. Loads. And half the time, this has actually happened to kind of my niece as well. They swabbed a lot of the infections and said it doesn't look bacterial based, but we'll give antibiotics anyway. It looks viral. It's crazy when wow. you think of... The, the underlying, and often you get co-infections. So one is, viruses are very opportunistic and it could be a bacterial infection led to a viral infection and the viral infection is now the main problem. Right. But it means the antibiotics will not touch the viral infection, but they will reduce some of the symptoms because there's kind of coexisting things going on. But again, this is where there might be a role for kind of more antivirals and there's lots of natural antivirals, which we've seen with COVID. Everyone's suddenly done their research, you know, of echinacea yeah. and elderberry and all these, these kind of things. And herbs can be quite powerful and herbalists are very good at working with kids. And just might be that sometimes there has to be antibiotics. I'm not... Um, this is a really interesting fact, actually, listening to a guy talk about this the other day. He said the biggest threat to human health by 2050 is going to be antibiotic resistance and it'll lead to about 10 million deaths a year. Wow. Because think about all the times we administer antibiotics yeah. in A and E, and you know all the all the medical programs we watch where they do IV antibiotics, and it but, but saves lives. You know, but I think that you know they're, they're definitely coming around to 
not using antibiotics quite so frequently. At, at GP level, definitely. Yeah. Uh, they don't have any choice in A and E. It's like you know, we're going. They've got to get in there. Yeah. Uh, so, so again, the kind of other, other, all the things that we've mentioned, the allergies and stuff like that, could be down to how many antibiotics you have in those early years of life. But this is where one of the most helpful things we can actually do is raise awareness of probiotic therapy. Yeah. So actually probiotics given again in pregnancy will help mm. to influence the mum's microbiome, maybe preconception. If you're kind of planning a pregnancy as well, you could yeah. start to do them both mother and father. Then um, same thing for adding pro and probiotics and prebiotics to breast milk. If you actually, um, again, are kind of concerned and want to maybe have a positive influence, you may not need to. Again, yeah. But also um, using a formula milk, which has the two. And then again, when you stop breastfeeding or using kind of formula milks, maybe continuing in the first couple of years of life to do children's probiotics. Yeah. And then prebiotics could be in a formula. Um, so it could be a supplement. You often see things like fructooligosaccharides, galactooligosaccharides are now added to your probiotics. Um, you'll see this in kids' ones especially. Some people use things like inulin as well. And But the diversity of fibre in your diet would be really powerful. So as many different fruits and vegetables and starches and whole grains as you can get and beans into your diet from a young age or if you're an adult now, try to diversify and tolerate as many as you can. The hard bit is if you've got some GI dysfunction, you might be better working with a nutritional therapist and working through building up your tolerance by fixing your gut, for example. Yeah. So many of my clients will have things like IBS or irritable bowel syndrome or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and they cannot tolerate a lot of fiber or probiotics or prebiotics. Right. So we have to do some adaptations and change a few things, and then you can add them back in gradually if needed. Right. Because there is a suggestion that if you did have a ton of antibiotics as a child and maybe weren't breastfed and were C-section, that you'd probably benefit from them ongoing. Right. Um, or you could use fermented foods, so like kefir and kimchi and sauerkraut, and you know you could have those on a regular basis instead. I suppose what's hard though is like not a lot of people necessarily like those things, do they? No, and it is about kind of finding. Yeah. What you'll find is that you, it, the, the worse your symptoms are, and the more painful your experience of this is, the more likely you you just eat them. Do you know what I mean? You don't even care. Yeah, yeah. Kids are, are trickier, you know, and it's quite hard. Although Emma Myhill, our, our pal, who's a naturopath who's been on the show on the on the podcast. She had her kids drinking kind of kefir and stuff, you know, when they were like yeah. one, yeah, yeah. sipping the kefir. So it just became a way of life for them. They don't think any different about it. So early introduction is always going to be hugely beneficial. Yeah, yeah. And then later on, the probiotic companies have done some very cool stuff with kids' products. So there's, you can get straws made out of probiotics. Like, um, oh, really? Yeah, and there's there's chewables. There's, you know, so there's lots of the kind of sweets and things like that. Yeah, yeah. In. So they've done some very cool stuff. I also quite like if you couldn't breastfeed and you have, you know, lots of antibiotics early on, colostrum and colostrum chews for kids um, have been developed by a company called, I think, Symbiotics. And I've recommended those quite quite a few clients and the kids can just have it. It's like a a chew that they just eat. So they've got really good and you could hide colostrum powder and stuff like that into smoothies and yogurts for kids. So there is some probiotics you can administer as a powder. Some have to be capsule based, but they've got quite savvy with that so again the more stuff that you know we've kind of been talking about that you might be concerned the more you might want to start to add these probiotics into into kind of the routine for kids or for yourself if you're an adult and what they've been kind of shown to do is essentially prevent infections and so if you suffer from things like utis and stuff like that the way i work with clients is i spend the first phase with them building them up getting them stronger so i use a lot of stuff that helps like colostrum or probiotics it's very low risk 
but it's going to help to restore function. Yeah. And if that doesn't work, my second line intervention is then I'll normally go in with herbs, which are about kind of killing off an infection like E. coli or Campylobacter or something that I might have found on a stool test with a client. And elimination diets are kind of a nice first line intervention. They can help to kind of just eradicate a trigger that's making someone have symptoms. And then eventually my goal is to get rid of that infection, build up the gut, and they can tolerate more foods, have more food freedom. But some people will always find they can't ever have broccoli or something, you know, there'll be certain yeah, foods yeah. that we, me and you kind of know, I just cannot eat that. That's well, just going well, to cause it's this... gonna cause an offence if I eat that. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing, isn't it? Like, it's not just about saying, oh, you know, you can't have processed food or, or whatever. Actually some very nutritious foods such as certain vegetables or legumes or pulses whatever can wreak havoc as we well know definitely and that could be down to things like so many antibiotics of you just can't digest those foods anymore another big factor massive factor is the enteric nervous system which surrounds the gut which governs your motility and remember i said like your small intestine should work quite quick quick transit time and then large intestine a bit slower Stress affects that massively and the speed oh, yeah. the speed at which God. you eat your food and the sure. speed at which you eat your food and how much you chew it affects your blood sugar regulation. My biggest digestive issues are when I'm stressed. Oh, I thought you were going to say your challenge is eating slower because a lot no, of people no, no, feed no. that back to me that they find it really hard to eat slow. Oh, no, I, well, I, I definitely make that link. Yeah, and it's definitely a combo of things. Like, I think I definitely eat faster when I'm stressed because normally the reason I'm stressed is because of how much work I've got to do. So there, I'm there in that situation. I'm like, look, okay, I need to eat this meal quick so I can get back to it. Yeah. Rather than taking a bit longer for myself to eat the food properly, I, I don't make as good decisions with my nutrition. Also, when I'm a bit stressed because I'm just a bit like a whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There's an element of comfort eating. There's an element of convenience to it. But saying that, even if I'm, I've consciously made the decision to eat well, I, I, I tend to have flare-ups with my gut, i.e. a lot of wind that yeah. pongs. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, you <laughs> I know, can vouch for that. Yeah, yeah sh- you sure can. Um, <laughs> you fart for so long. Uh, very long. Hamish tips his head from side to side. Like, what is that? Like a tune. I'm confused. Like, what, <laughs> what, what is goes, this noise? He does. I've, I've, I've never heard such a noise. <laughs> like you're playing the recorder or something. <laughs> Especially when they... they Dogs they, like tipping his they, head. They go up in pitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they kind of start low, like... <laughs> And then he jumps up, yeah. up at the end and it's like, is that a dog whistle? <laughs> <laughs> and then the smell knocks him out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Imagine but, what it must smell like to him. I don't, yeah. Because even what, I have to Because what's their smell is like, what, like a hundred times oh of humans God, or something like that? Oh my breath. God, poor dog. He gets you back when you have to pick his poo up, to be fair. Though. Yeah, I do, yeah. True, true. No, that's a good point. Um, uh, on, my, that, on that note, how bad is it when you just picked up a poo walking the dog? And then someone you know comes along or your dog, like Hamish will interact with another dog and then the owner's like, oh, he's lovely, what's his name? And then you know you're like tying the poo up and you're trying to have this conversation but surrounded by the smell of shit. It's so yeah. hard, isn't it? And you're just like... Argh. Just hold your breath. But you, it's weird. I was doing it the other day and this guy was going, I've just got a puppy, like any advice? And I was just like <laughs> trying to hold my breath and talk at the same time. But it's also quite embarrassing, even though I know it's the dog why? poo. It's the dog poo, but you, I don't know yeah. why. I, just, I suppose because it's like... But I think, you know, surely like, you know, I don't mind because it's like we're, we're, we're both dog owners. We know the score. 
I remember having that conversation with the woman once. Do you remember this old lady? She was so sweet, but she had the stinkiest bag of poo. Yeah, but she was like swinging it all over the shop. <laughs> she it's was like, gesturing. You know, you, know you, keep, you keep the poo bag in the hand you don't gesture with. <laughs> Stays by your side. You're like flinging it around all over the place. There's always a concern she'll let go. <laughs> but what it's she like had, a poo slingshot. But what she clearly had, because she had a few dogs with her, do you remember? Yeah. So she obviously had like... Bucket. It was more like a. She was putting the dog poo bags in a regular plastic bag. So it's like putting. So she and she by the size of the bag, she clearly had <laughs> all three of them had done a job yeah. at least once. <laughs> chattering away, and you were like, "I just want to go. I can't stand that smell anymore. I don't want to be rude, but you stink." Try to like dodge the dodge the poo bag because it was like being flung around. <laughs> Um, but yeah, but, but what I'm saying is, is that even when I've made the, the conscious decision in those times and I am actually eating well and I'm eating foods that I always eat, um, I can, I feel it, I feel the effects. See what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like we've always said, it's not necessarily what you, you've eaten, it's how you've eaten it. Eaten. eaten. <laughs> eaten. How you've eaten. How you've... Eaten? Have you eaten it? Eaten it, yeah. Oh my god, I almost, almost said it again It then. wasn't a bad... It would have made sense if you were French. It would have. It would have <laughs> <laughs> but people, you add this to this, don't you? <laughs> people know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so I can definitely make that link between how I ate that food to how I'm feeling. That's so much more than what the food was because I know the food is... Because it can be something as really, really simple as a... I don't know you know, bit of chicken, sweet potato and some salad yeah, food yeah. that I'm, I, I eat all the time yeah. and I'm absolutely fine with. But because I was stressed, because I was in, yeah, yeah. I wasn't in rest and digest mode, you know, my, my body's like, I wasn't too happy about, I wasn't, I wasn't too happy about how you ate that, mate. Yeah. <laughs> and just on that note, because so many things influence transit time, what many people do, the main time to know that you've had a reaction to a food, like for sure, is if, for example, if you're lactose or fructose intolerant, you'll probably eat it and then you'll see a fast transit time. That's a little bit more kind of indicative of a, of a proper food intolerance. Right. Um, and obviously kind of celiac's instant reaction to kind yeah, of food yeah. and things like that. Whereas what many people do is they have an IBS reaction to something at a certain time of day, which is quite common because often there's kind of a process of your food's in your stomach for about six hours. Then it's in your small intestine for about two to four hours. And then it's in your large intestine for about 18 hours. So if you start farting at around seven o'clock, it's not what you just had for dinner. And that's the mistake people make. It's actually maybe what you've been eating at breakfast or possibly dinner the night before. Do you see what I mean? So, and it depends on the transit time as well. So things like the bloating in the wind, you can't really say that that's a sign of a food intolerance as such. And obviously we're meant to have, we're producing this two to four litres of gas. So you are meant to, and the more fermentable carbs you have, the more you're likely to kind of have that wind. I think one of the problems you often see is um, people not kind of this, we remember this from working in the gym. And I definitely kind of see it if I have too much kind of whey protein and stuff like that. A lot of sulfur is... Mm is if you have too much of the kind of sulfur proteins, which is things like whey, chicken, eggs, yogurt, cottage cheese, you're kind of what I would say the bodybuilding proteins, methionine-rich proteins, (laughs) is that, again, not chewed properly, there could be this kind of build-up of like kind of putrefaction in the gut, you know, so that the proteins are hanging around for a long period of time. And that's why we always recommend having a lot of fibre and vegetables with your protein to encourage that transit time and hydration, which is a mistake a lot of people will make. If you're not adequately hydrated and you go on a high kind of protein diet, you could probably, you know, you get a lot of the sulfur wind and, and yeah. sulfur protein kind of farts and stuff like that. 
Um, so I just want to finish by saying, and just on that route, that the early antibiotics in life, I think I mentioned, would also increase your risk of antibiotic resistance. So again, that's why we're trying to minimise it going yeah, forward. Yeah. Um, allergies, I think I've said, diabetes, obesity, and even depression. A lot of mood health issues that you're seeing now in children. I, again, think it's this massive mixture of, of kind of transfer from parent to child. They are essentially, you know, a blank canvas watching you know, and picking up and, and, and being conditioned, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and then there's obviously lots of other factors, but things like the antibiotic administration, which was for a long period of time more frequent, could have ex- up, upset the microbiome. And I haven't really kind of touched upon the fact, other than mentioning serotonin and you doing poo tube, the fact that the microbiome we know alters things like the, the, the central nervous system and your output of serotonin makes you feel good. GABA, calm and relaxed you know, kind of all of these neurotransmitters, we know there's crosstalk, but also inflammation. So remember I said that your immune system sat behind your gut wall and your bacteria are kind of communicating with your immune system. Ideally, the gut barrier is in place, but if it's not, this is even more kind of likely to go wrong. And if your immune system's not happy, they release these cytokines, inflammatory chemicals, and that will suppress a lot of things that keep you calm and help buffer anxiety. So like serotonin and GABA, your inhibitory neurotransmitters. So you lose things like stress resilience, you lose the ability to kind of rationalize and things like that. You're gonna see this, I think, become more and more of a problem because of a combination of factors. So again, think about the antibiotics, think about the diet and think about the fact that C-section births now about 20, I think it was like 20, that's that I saw was a couple of years ago now, but. Nearly a third of all births in the UK, so it's 27% or something, are C-section now. And we know people who are opting for C-section simply for the convenience of the date. And they've been told to do that and said it's safer. And I remember when I did um, a master's in public health, we had a breastfeeding coach come in. She was absolutely amazing. And she said in London, sometimes the teaching hospitals like you to have a C-section because then they're able to teach a C-section. So they like birth interventions and they're much more quicker to do episiotomy where they actually cut the vagina open because they want oh, yeah. to demonstrate it wow. um, to, to, to other students. So I remember Emma Myhill saying she had to fight because she didn't want the C-section and she knew or she felt she could give birth. There are so Did you just many... say cut the vagina open? Yeah. So they slice it, they cut it surgically rather so it won't tear. Oh my gosh. Sorry, did you not know that? Sorry to... <laughs> no. Oh, you poor women. I know. <laughs> I haven't had one, so... <laughs> I, know. I do remember my hairdresser telling me that she would sit on a rubber ring for <laughs> six weeks after birth. <laughs> She's like, you don't want to know what they did down there. Anyway, but again, same thing about... I know somebody at the moment who's kind of, uh, kind of going through this process of trying to figure out... She may have to... If you've had one C-section, your second one, they definitely say, has to be a C-section as well. So sometimes people contact me about that and, and I just think you do the safest thing for the child. So if there's yeah. any birth risk, C-section is going yeah. to be helpful. If there isn't any, there's no reason for you to think that that's going to be a, a better way for you necessarily because it will mean that different start. Yeah, um, yeah. What puts me off, I don't know about you, is, is the six weeks of... Of like you can't do anything. Do you know what I mean? Like as in, right, that'd like be an absolute like your, your recovery is so much longer yeah. after a C-section. You mean? Yeah, you can't yeah. Hoover. I love Hoovering. Oh, oh. <laughs> I love a good Hoover. I think there's a lot of people that wouldn't be too worried about that. <laughs> Someone <laughs> opt in for that reason. Yeah, <laughs> I bloody hate Hoovering. <laughs> um, so the last thing I was just going to say is there's some emerging research on on probiotics helping with all the conditions that we've mentioned. So that's going to be diabetes. Um, H. pylori, any infections, but 
different types of diabetes, allergies, asthma, all these sorts of things, heart health, mental health as well. With it, what's interesting is I've been getting more and more clients with inflammatory bowel conditions at the moment. And with those, it's quite interesting because do you remember I said the small intestine has a little bit of bacteria, the large intestine has lots more, so like thousands, billions and billions. So it's quite hard to influence with probiotics. You know, when you take a probiotic, you yeah. tend to see like 2 billion colony forming units or 25 yeah. or 50. So when you're taking that amount, you're influencing small intestine more than anything. Right. And that is where most of the dysfunction or dysbiosis can occur. Right. And that'll have a positive effect on hormones and the immune system. But when you've got inflammatory bowel conditions, but more Crohn's, which is in the large intestine, you're not going to really influence with a small amount of probiotics. So this is where there's there's what we call a polybiotic that I often recommend with my clients, which is one of them is 400 billion and they take that a couple of times so it's a huge amount Whoa. but it's also where fecal um, microbiota transplants have come if in I'd a pound for every probiotic <laughs> yeah I'd be loaded you'd be loaded <laughs> but the fecal micro, microbiota transplantations have now this is like a new therapy coming in which is where you take essentially the poop from a healthy person and then you insert it by enema or colonoscopy or sigmoidoscopy into someone with Crohn's has been shown to actually transfer it's like it's an organ transplant you're transferring the microbiome to someone who's got a dysfunctional one I didn't know they actually do like a nasal like a tube through the nose and a small intestine now as well I didn't know that yeah that must be kind of interesting but there's been a few instances of I think there's been one death where they transferred a um, an infectious disease oh god um, so at the moment it's not a conventional therapy right. but they're kind of saying it will be maybe in so many years yeah, time um, way more effective but again what I would also emphasise is the clients that I have are often kind of referrals from existing clients and they had no idea and they're not told by a gastroenterologist about what they can do nutritionally especially with inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's and colitis, they're simply put on the white diet, which yeah, is yeah. which is no fibre because their intestinal lining is so inflamed and irritated. It's the right approach. But there's different versions of a low fibre diet. The one I give is nothing like the one that a gastroenterologist would recommend necessarily, yeah. but they're both low fibre until you can calm the gut down and start to, uh, again, I usually kind of use a combination of, of different kind of um, uh, amino acids or you know various different things, colostrum, probiotics, things like that to calm everything down often kind of i'm working on the person not the gut so i'll be like let me know about your stress like tell me about your how did this kick off why did it start and like we kind of work on some of the things they know have become a problem and what you find this is interesting with the studies on probiotics and ibs is that placebo works really well in ibs studies so they'll give them a probiotic and a placebo and the placebo group get great results why is that do you think don't know because a massive part of it is stress. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So when you think you're taking a pill that's helping, right. yeah, of course, you're right. calming stuff down. Yeah, you know, that makes sense. I mean, to be fair, like we, we've said this before, I think with you and your um, your symptoms, we always said this, didn't we? That whenever you went to see someone and you had some kind of a scan or you'd had some feedback that I think something that you felt was probably potentially more sinister and you found out that it wasn't, like you almost had an instant relief from some of your symptoms for yeah, a spell yeah, yeah, after that appointment because it was almost like a part of your symptoms or part of what made your uh, like exaggerated your symptoms a little bit was the stress of it being something yeah so when it's almost like oh no it's not that you're like oh wow like the symptoms are still there but they're nowhere near as much because yeah. the stress was just amplifying 
everything. Honestly, it's been, like I sometimes think, uh, it's been a hugely beneficial experience for me because my gut symptoms are just always a combination of factors of usually kind of nervous system related, hormone related. So I've always had kind of low hormones and the the sex hormones are quite a big part of your gut motility. Mm -hmm. And mine have always been like rubbish exercise related IBS because, you know, I like my training and obviously that puts the stress. I haven't mentioned that when you look at studies on probiotics, it seems to really help with, you get a bit of intestinal permeability depending on, they do it on triathletes and people who train quite intensively, but they get more of that intestinal permeability in exercise and the more exercise you're doing, the more it will be happening. The more inflammation you've got from exercise, it might drive it as well, put together with trying to eat fast maybe around training or intra-training. And this is why I'm not a huge fan of you doing kind of intra-workout supplements and stuff because many of them have a lot of the kind of multidextrin and the sweeteners and things in that I'm like, ah, that's not great for your microbiome, but I know it's good for your biceps. It's kind of a... Yeah, you know, it's got pros and cons, isn't it? (laughs) And you probably feel good for your biceps, so, you know, nervous system's happy. My digestive health's terrible, but have you seen my arms? (laughs) (laughs) But interestingly, I mean, probiotics, you've got to be hard not to think. Not everyone, again, should take them and often you have to kind of do a bit of repair work and I've made the mistake of taking them in the past and it's made me worse mm. because I already had too much bacteria and I was too bloated and too windy and it made it worse. Yeah. So they're not always the right thing to do. Sometimes you've got to kind of work on the harder stuff like relaxation, chewing food, yeah. bringing up your sex hormones instead. Um, but they have interesting studies where people get faster run times in a probiotic group versus placebo. Wow. But they think it's more because they're supporting the gut function. and Because so- they're... Uh- touching cloth and need to get to the toilet <laughs> that's what it is yeah. quick <laughs> you improve the transit time of the gut <laughs> there are toilets coming up so they yeah. get a little sprint on well you've seen the trouble that you know people like and the the one that studied the most for gut issues is running because it has that mechanical stress yeah. but runners also i think it's a longer period of time that you're exercising for often and then compared to cycling you are jiggling the belly whereas you're not you're more static yeah of course but, but I also think runners and people that love running have that personality type that is just you know very much fight or flight a yeah. lot of the time very yeah. kind of what we call sympathetic nervous system dominant so they love the, they love the chase of adrenaline and stuff but like that's that. why you know we, we've said this before I say that a lot we've said a lot of stuff before we've said this before but there is a difference between health and fitness because we've worked with a lot of people that you know perform uh, you know that compete in, in sport of some kind at a pretty high level very very fit very physically strong you know really really good conditioning great endurance whatever but doesn't mean they're in tip-top nick health-wise and there's often a lot going on because of the stress that they've placed on their body over the years and you know and, and doing what's required to kind of perform at the level that they do so it's really important that you make that, that they, they are separate things. You know, you can be fit and unhealthy. You, of course, you can be fit and healthy as well. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, the two don't always go hand in hand, do they? Um, and interestingly, the next chapter, and what I was just saying when you were talking about my kind of backstory is... I've done a lot of kind of blood testing and hormone testing on myself, just kind of trying to keep an eye on things. And I love fitness and I I eat really well and I know I'm prone to kind of being a stress head. And I I want to try and find that right balance between- You heard it here, people. Being able to do, let me finish, being able to do the kind of exercise I love in the right amount without having that negative effect on my hormones and 
so at the moment I'm kind of doing a little bit more studying of the, the kind of the blood chemistry and the hormone side of things so that I could I can help people in a similar position like yeah. you just said you might be super fit on the gym floor but inside your gut's wrecked your sex hormones and thyroid are on the floor and so what how do we kind of rebalance that and that's been my journey with it yeah. and I'll get these kind of um, you know but also one, one thing I was going to say is blood tests are always different for people that train to not train I've been I've had like a, lots of conversations with Dr Tommy Wood and, and kind of gone back and forth and consulted with him on a few kind of cases now and said you know I'm seeing these anomalies and are they something that we need to worry about because GPs will sometimes say it is but then actually you're seeing no because it's it's because of the type of training that they do so that's kind of the next thing that I'm um working on next but anyway back to the final thing I just want to say about probiotics so first of all probiotics we know have this real kind of therapeutic potential along with diet like that is just please spread that message if you're listening to this podcast please speak to people that have these gut issues they do not need to live with them they do not need to be told they've got IBS for the rest of their life they may always have a sensitive gut for the rest of their life I definitely will but my symptoms are like 90% better than they were and, and have been in the past so there is just so much that they can do and it will also transfer over into things like mental emotional health into allergies immune system response into you know kind of disease risk metabolic risk in in future years that trait anxiety i mentioned there's some really good studies on probiotics helping with trait anxiety where you don't know why you've suddenly gone very anxious and again can have a a really positive effect and at some point they think they might be recommended almost on a compulsory basis but be given medicine status and recommended by default to a woman who is pregnant or in the last trimester of a pregnancy and during breastfeeding and uh, to anyone who's had antibiotics and i am actually seeing now gps tell you to take a probiotic with your antibiotic but with a four-hour gap usually in between together and just try to find some good brands and the strength it's kind of hard to say your best if you have a very complex situation to go and work with someone who's professional professional nutritional therapist who can guide you on this process because the range goes from kind of a couple of billion which might be enough just to, to kind of influence or 25 50 billion when you're going up to those wow. really hundred, you know, the 400 billion, then you'll be working with someone professional. Wow. Don't self-dose that That's kind of stuff. That, yeah. Try to look for kind of brands who are following the research. So yeah, you'll often yeah. see OptiBac is in a pharmacist. Proven is another good one. Biocare do a lot of work. I quite like Garden of Life. They'll be different in different countries. Claire Labs is kind of an international one. Again, try and get professional advice. This is this is kind of a, a long-term thing for you. And, and do please share this podcast with anyone, again, who is kind of battling through any of these kind of gut issues or allergies or working, you know, trying to help their children. Yeah. Because this information, I think, is quite, is quite valuable. And I wish it was just out. I wish it was on the news at the moment. You know, what COVID's not, you know, COVID is not going anywhere. What could we all be doing? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, along with the exercise, the nutritious diet, you're possibly a probiotic if you're a bit immune compromised and getting outside all these kind of things i wish that was the headline every night you know and, and also as well like you you've mentioned already that pro- obviously probiotics can be incredibly helpful but kind of don't go straight there like think of the other things that have been mentioned as well in terms of like not necessarily the food you're eating but how you're eating yeah, your food you know food. ensuring that you invest a bit of time in yourself to be in that rest and digest mode and sleep s- i didn't even mention the microbiome have a circadian rhythm like you one of the healthiest ways to support that is to try and keep the same sleep, wake and meal time routine. 
go to bed at roughly the same time, wake up at roughly the same time. I know it can be give or take half an hour to an hour. But actually, I think the waking time is more important than the going to bed time. Try and be consistent with that. And then your mealtime routine. And if you work shifts, try to get as close as you possibly can back to your original mealtime. You know, especially if you're switching from night shift to day shift in a week or something like that. So. But you could almost fast through the night. Food if you, would get me if, through a night shift. If it was one night, you could probably fast, you know, you yeah, could yeah, probably yeah. do it yeah. and use things like a decaf coffee to kind of stave off hunger a little bit or like, um, you know, kind of distraction, do some push-ups and stuff like that. Yeah. But if you can, you're going to find it easier. And I think I mentioned this in the, the last study that, no, the la- one of the last podcasts, when, they've, when they want to look at insulin resistance, they sleep deprived people. Just one night and you become insulin resistant, like as because your muscles can become insulin uh, resistant through sleep differential, just temporarily. But again, that'd be why the days after it'd be good to do some strength training, you know, and kind of kickstart that back. But oh, you're wow. always going to have a slightly greater need, is the way I like to phrase it, to eat better and train and exercise the more you have sleep disruption in your life. Wow, yeah. But so you don't need to see it as like I can't change this, so I'm screwed. It it's just. You know, and and movement snacks where you're doing push-ups around meals and stuff like that. Bodyweight squats. It's going to be really beneficial if you've if you've done a sleep shift, if you've done a night shift, or right, you've got right. kids and you're sleep deprived and things like that. Uh-huh. So your gut bacteria have this, a circadian rhythm, and they just like routine. Yeah. And that's why you know if you're in a routine, your bowels yeah. move at the same time well, every I'd day. I'd imagine most people are relatively consistent, though, aren't they? Yeah. Because people tend to start work at the same time every day, lunch break at the same time, etc. Yeah. Like you say, if you work shifts, it kind of screws things up a little bit because a lot of people's shifts change in that respect, don't yeah, they? Yeah. Some of it's like a day shift, night shift, early shift, you know, yeah, like... Yeah. And, and as and, a female, one final point is if you notice a kind of flare of um, um, of gut symptoms, don't think about the last meal. You might want to look at time of the month because there will sometimes yeah. be around ovulation, sometimes around... Yeah. Everyone's different, but higher estrogen or high high progesterone both can kind of constipate you a little bit i see it more commonly in high progesterone which happens in the second half of a woman's cycle and then the week before they're about to have their menstrual bleed it just can be awful for women yeah, there can yeah. be wind bloating water retention all this kind of stuff so again it's it's this might be the time that you have your probiotics, more fiber in your diet, prebiotics. So there's lots you can do. We've got a menstrual cycle e-course if you want to refine your diet and lifestyle around that 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 awful week before <laughs> before someone walks out on you. <laughs> Which I'm laughing. It's no laughing matter. Like some of the thick gases I've produced. <laughs> right, right, pretty okay. Offensive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just finished on one point. You know, I was dumped. You've said that about three times. Now. I was dumped for. <laughs> you know, I was dumped for breaking wind. Wish her. Yeah. Cheek of it. I know. Like, like, like they'd never fight. It didn't, it didn't actually tell me. I found it out from somebody else later, which is mortifying as a teenager. This is when I'd just developed some gut issues and apparently it was in my sleep. <laughs> I, think, I think my gut spoke for me and was like, yeah, it it's was, bad news. Yeah, exactly. Let off like, nox- <laughs> get away. <laughs> a noxious gas. Get out of it. <laughs> Put him off you're a not, life. You're not wanted here. Yeah, yeah. So my gut, it was my gut feeling that he was... <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite literally. <laughs> <laughs> and then I found out later he just suddenly never called me back and then someone was like apparently he said you farted oh, yes. in bed and you were asleep yeah knew nothing about it no but my gut spoke there you go <laughs> so should we wrap it up there we should <laughs> on that note on that note um, well Keris as always a lot you are just a wealth of knowledge I'm hoping people have got a bit more spare time around Christmas to listen to a longer podcast yeah we well, don't need to listen to it in one go no they don't I rarely listen to a podcast in one go to be fair even if they're shorter than an hour and a half. So, 
you know, listen in free installments if you like. Yeah. Good Whatever, Trevor. Well, thank you very much, Karis. Thank you very much, Once Matt. Again, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate your time and your expertise, as always. Good stuff. And um, please, um, also, we haven't mentioned, some people reviewed the podcast last week. Thank you so much. That was lovely. I, I believe it helps people to find the podcast the more reviews we have. So yeah, it'd be and, lovely if you could re- leave us a review. And it's, always, it's nice for us, of course, to, to get to get so, so, such lovely feedback. It's a nice high five. Yeah, yeah definitely. We, we often have a moment, don't we? Because like, we'll be like, oh, well, there's, there's a new review. Yeah. We read it out to each other. So thank you very much. It does mean the world. So keep them coming, people. And uh, as always, any questions, um, anything you'd like to hear more of, you know, send us a message on social media, fit of food on all platforms or hit us up on email, info at fitfood.com and we'll do our very best to help where we can. Big love wherever you are in the world and we will see you in episode 160. Bye-bye. See ya.